Wisdom from Above with Dr. Harlan Betts. Greetings, podcast family. Welcome to Wisdom from Above, where we go beyond the reasoning of men to the revelation of God. We're in the midst of a foundational season called Back to the Beginning. First, we investigated creation versus evolution in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Now we're going to do a three-part series on the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. Today's episode is entitled, The Fall, Satan's Strategy, and is found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Imagine the scene. Adam and his beautiful new bride running through plush meadows in the shadows of huge trees, listening to the singing of birds, smelling the fragrance of the flowers, drinking from the crystal clear stream, anticipating a spectacular sunset, and looking forward with eagerness to their evening visit with their Lord God. The Lord joins them, and Adam and Eve break into a slightly revised version of Heber's song before he had ever even written it, singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the evening we love to walk with Thee. Holy, 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 Adam and Eve adore Thee, as in the garden we live our lives for Thee. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all Thy works shall praise Thy name in earth, and sky, and sea, cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, God of the ages and eternity. Wait a minute. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before him? Yes, but not all of them. In fact, into this very peaceful and pastoral setting of the Garden of Eden, there came a fallen angel with a strategy that was so deceitful that Eve was lured into disobeying the God she loved, and Adam chose to rebel against the God whom he loved. That fallen angel was described in Revelation 12.9 as the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. You should be able to answer these questions about the devil. Who is he? What is he doing? And where is he going? Just for a moment, let's review Satan's origin and fall. According to Ezekiel twenty-eight eleven to 19 he was the wisest and highest and most beautiful of all God's created beings. He was of the order of angels known as cherubim, He was named Lucifer. He was given the incomparable privilege of standing in the presence of God, reflecting the glory of God, and overseeing the angels of God. Lucifer was filled with pride because of his God-given wisdom and beauty. Willfully, Lucifer chose to rebel against God. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15, we find five phrases, beginning with I will, 
which reveals Satan's sinful pride. Here is what Satan was saying. One, I will take the place of God and occupy the throne of God. Two, I will exercise absolute independent authority over all the angels. Three, I will bring the earth and the universe under my authority. Four, I will cover myself with the glory that belongs to God alone. Five, I will be like the Most High God. Satan's plan was twofold. First, Satan attempted to take God's place in heaven. He wanted the angels to follow him and serve him. And he had limited success, getting one-third of the angels to follow him in his rebellion. And Lucifer lost his exalted position in heaven. Second, Satan wanted to take God's place on earth. He wanted man to follow him and serve him. The details of his attempt to get man to follow him instead of God are spelled out in Genesis chapter 3. First, Satan's subtle appearance. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Satan is a master of deceit. He chose at this moment to indwell a serpent and to use it as his tool or instrument through which he would speak to Eve. He chose to come subtly and shrewdly as a creature which Adam had named. He chose to come as an animal over which Adam and Eve had authority, an animal concerning which Eve should have no worry or fear. But Satan is a deceiver. We're told in Second Corinthians that he appears as an angel of light, a minister of righteousness. He often appears as someone good or safe when in fact he is bad and dangerous. Next, in verse 1, we see Satan's deceitful temptation as Satan distorts God's word. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, for a little background, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, it's important to note that this command was given to man, and it was given to the man before the woman was even yet created. And so this command had to be repeated to the woman, either through the man who was appointed as her head and her leader and lover, or from God. The divine provision, we see, Adam and Eve had been given divine permission to eat from all the trees freely. Then there's the divine prohibition. Adam and Eve are prohibited from eating from only one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
the divine penalty. Adam was told that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. The name Satan means enemy, opponent, or adversary. The name devil means accuser, maligner, slanderer. And uh, Satan, the devil, lives up to his name. He wants to know how much of God's word Eve knows and understands. But in the process, he wants to introduce some doubts about God's goodness. And he wants Eve to focus on God's restrictions. Therefore, he says to her, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat from every tree in the garden. Well, actually, God said, you can eat from every tree of the garden, but the one. You see, Satan's very clever in his question, very shrewd. First, he ignores God's gracious provision of all the trees in the garden. Second, he focuses on the one and only prohibition. Thirdly, his question reflects negatively on God's character. It causes Eve to feel like, well, is God holding back something from you? Well, Satan's ploy has its desired effect. Notice in verses 2 and 3, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. It's clear from Eve's answer that she knows there's a prohibition. And it's clear that she knows there's a penalty for disobedience. But it's also very evident that Satan's distortion of God's word is already making inroads into her heart. First, Eve minimizes the provisions of God by misquoting the divine permission. She says, we may eat the fruit of the trees. Where God had said, you may eat the fruit of all the trees freely. She leaves out all and freely. So she minimizes God's provision. Second, concerning the forbidden tree, he says, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it. So she adds to the restrictions which seem negative to her, like somehow God is holding back from her. And so she says, God says you shouldn't eat from it or even touch it. And God didn't say anything about touching it. Third, Eve weakens the obligation to God by misquoting the divine penalty. The divine penalty was you shall surely die. And Eve leaves out surely. She says, lest you die. Like it's... It, not necessarily certain. Now, the fourth thing we see is Satan now denies God's word. First, he distorts it, and so Eve begins to doubt. Then he denies it in verses 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So first, Satan distorts the word of God 
causing Eve to doubt his goodness. And then Satan denies the word of God, causing Eve to doubt God's righteousness. In effect, Satan is saying, God told you a lie. You won't die. Well, Satan is the liar. And this is a lie that has allured the human race since the very beginning. That You know, there's, there's no punishment for sin. I mean, go ahead and do it. Nothing's going to happen. You can get away with it. Do it just a little. Nobody will ever know. There's no punishment for sin. Thirdly, Satan causes Eve to doubt God's holiness. In effect, he's saying, well, the whole reason why God is telling you not to eat that is that God is just jealous. He just doesn't want you to become like him. This is the lie that has captured the minds of New Angers and progressives today. That you can be a God. The fifth thing we see is that Eve disobeys God's word. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. <coughs> Excuse me. Eve disobeys God's word. There's the appeal of sin. You know, she's questions of God's goodness have entered her heart. Thoughts of punishment have not just been ignored, they've been denied. You know, I won't die. Thoughts of privileges are present, like I'll be like God. The appeal of the temptation is overwhelming. The forbidden fruit is attractive physically. This is, it would be good to eat. The forbidden fruit is attractive emotionally. It's, it's, it's beautiful to look at. It draws you. The forbidden fruit is attractive spiritually. I mean, it would be like God. It's a pathway to deity. That's the appeal that Satan has put in front of her, a false appeal. And then we see the act of sin. She took, she ate. You know, this, this was not so much an act of great wickedness as it was an act of great foolishness. God had given Eve everything that she needed. But she was now convinced God was holding out on her. So she took and she ate. And then it says she gave to her husband with her and he ate also. I'm wondering what Adam was thinking this whole time. He obviously didn't tell her to stop. When Adam and Eve's children asked why they were no longer living in the Garden of Eden, Adam replied, Your mother ate us out of house and home. <laughs> well, that's not, that's not exactly right. But Adam did try to blame Eve. But God didn't let that pass. He didn't let him get away with it. You see, for Adam, this was willful obedience. Willful, excuse me. For Adam, this was an act of willful disobedience. According to 1 Timothy 2.4, Eve was deceived into disobedience. She was foolishly disobedient. But Adam wasn't deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. He was just plain willfully 
disobedient. Eve, foolishly disobedient. Adam, willfully disobedient. And this was, this was not just a matter of eating something they were not supposed to eat. This was a rebellion against a gracious God. God had not withheld anything good from them. In fact, God had provided a fabulously amazing array of wonderful things for them to enjoy. But Satan's strategy worked. Did you see the pattern? First, a distortion of truth, which aroused doubts. Then a denial of the truth, awakening pride and appealing to sin, and then a disobedience. Satan's sinister strategy is to get all mankind to follow him instead of God. He, his target is the mind, and his method is deceit. Erwin Lutzer has a wonderful book about Satan's strategy, and he shows how the four statements of Satan in Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, lay the foundation for New Age movement today and for progressive thinking today. The original lie first was, you'll be like God. And so the, that that arouses pride, and this leads to pantheism, that I'm a God, you're a God, everything is God. Uh, and so animal rights are exalted because they're God. Environmentalism is pushed because it's God. Human deity is believed in because man is considered to be God. That's kind of a pantheism. The second lie, you will not surely die. And that brings this pride of, well, I determine my own destiny. And the classical name for this is reincarnationism. That uh, we, we just keep going around and and karma explains evil, and evolution explains life. And, and so channeling to those who are moving from one level to another level and reincarnation is possible, and animal worship is sensible because they're gods, and suicide is acceptable because it's just a matter of moving on to the next level. And all of this is so dangerously prevalent in our world today because of this strategy of Satan. And then the, a third one was, you'll know good and evil. So the, the pride comes up again. I determine my own morals. This leads to relativism. The idea that there are no absolutes. There are no distinctions. It's all up to you. You make your own choices. And you make your own rules. And whatever the situation is, you do what you think is best or what you would like the most. And then... So as a result of that false belief, immorality is looked upon as acceptable. Values are distorted and moral confusion is rampant. The fourth lie was your eyes will be opened. The idea, the pride here is, well, I have all the knowledge that I need. It leads to esotericism. And so the false belief is that there's these inner guides, not realizing that it's really evil spirits and this special enlightenment that you have. We're not realizing that it's just your own uh, foolish thinking or 
demonic influence and transform consciousness. So drug use is accepted, occult activity is growing, and Eastern mysticism is infiltrating even the church. I want to uh, share four challenges that uh, I that come to my mind as a result of looking at Satan's strategy. Number one is be alert. Know your enemy. First Peter 5, 7 says, Satan is like a roaring lion, prowling about seeking whom he may devour. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, Jesus, that, Jesus says that Satan is like a thief. He wants to steal. He wants to he'll kill. He wants to destroy. He wants to steal your joy, kill your love, destroy your faith. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says that Satan has a strategy for our defeat and that believers can be ignorant of his schemes. And so he attacks our mind. Satan's target is the mind. The word for strategy is noema. comes from the word noose, which means mind. And <coughs> Satan has a strategy for our defeat. And his strategy is to target the mind, and his method is deceit. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11 tell us, this that Satan's method is deceit and his target is the mind. So according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 3 and 4, Satan wants to blind the mind of unbelievers. According to 2 Corinthians 11, 3, Satan wants to lead astray the mind of believers. His method is deceit, his target is the mind. We need to know our enemy. Be alert. Secondly, we need to be devoted and know God's Word. Be devoted to God's Word. Be devoted to truth. God's Word is truth, and we need to know it. Ephesians 6, 13 to 18 talks about the spiritual armor that we need to put on. And as he's going through this, he caps it all off with the putting on the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the Word of God. If we don't know it, we're going to be deceived. Because Satan will appear like an angel of light, and he'll take truth and just twist it a little bit or distort it like he did with Eve. He promotes truth with error. But truth with error ends up being a lie. He's trying to deceive us by things that are appealing and alluring and misleading. And so we end up with the Bible plus the truth plus something that's false. It's like adding uh, you're making brownies. I heard a story about a man who wanted to help his kids understand the danger of adding something bad to something that's good. So you have a brownie mix, and you put in just a tablespoon of dog poop. Well, it's only a tablespoon and a huge, huge batch of brownies, but it ruins it. And as soon as you take truth and you add a lie to it, you add falsehood to it, you've ruined it. According to 1 Timothy 4.1, in the last days, people will fall away from the faith, and they will pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. We're seeing the impact of this kind of deceit even within churches today. I mean, look what's happening. The belief that everything is created by God has been replaced with the belief that everything is God. The hope of resurrection is replaced by the hope of reincarnation. The blessing of partaking in God's divine nature 
is replaced with the belief that we are divine in our nature. The discerning of good and evil by the Scripture is replaced by determining good and evil by ourself. And the result is calling that which is good evil and calling that which is evil good. Instead of honoring God and calling God in prayer, that's been replaced with refusing to even think about God in prayer. That's how some people suggest that we pray. Just don't, don't, don't think about God. Thinking on things that are lovely, pure, just, and true, biblical meditation, has been replaced with emptying the mind, Eastern meditation. It's called contemplative prayer. Making specific requests in prayer has been replaced by the vain repetition of one phrase or one word, often called centering prayer. The false belief that the significance of the Incarnation is not that Jesus became human like us, but that we are gods like him. (laughs) Or there's the false belief that the significance of Jesus is not as a person who came for our salvation, but as the person who gave us a good example. Believing that Jesus is not the only manifestation of God, but that, that we're all manifestations of God. Now, don't miss this, podcast family. A personal knowledge of God's Word isn't just nice. It is necessary. Be devoted to the Scripture. Know the Word. We must know the truths of God's Word if we want to avoid falling into the errors of this world. Third challenge, be humble. Know your weaknesses. I like Psalm 103 that says, We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. And so we see that we are the creature, not the creator. We are dependent, not independent. We are human, not divine. And we have a natural desire for self-assertion. We have a natural desire for independence and going our own way. And so we need to acknowledge our weaknesses. When we're led astray, it's, it's, we're led astray by our own lusts from within us. We need, and, and we're led astray by our own pride. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Griffith Thomas wrote these words. If Eve had resisted in the beginning, she would not have fallen. Satan can't overcome us without our consent. If we resist, he flees. If we yield, he wins. It is this simple fact that constitutes man's ultimate responsibility for his actions. We can never say, I was overpowered in spite of myself. All we can say is, I was overpowered because of myself. Martin Luther takes this a step further as he writes these words. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe, that's Satan, the devil, our adversary, our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Now listen to this. Martin Luther goes on to say, Did we in our own strength confide, 
our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that might be? Christ Jesus. It is he, and he must win the battle. We can resist the devil by God's grace and in the power of Christ. The final challenge is be saved. Know your destiny. We have two options lying before us for our destiny. It's heaven or hell. And God loves you so much he sent his only son. God loves me so much he sent his only son. Then if that whosoever would believe in him, this one who died on the cross and rose from the dead, whosoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Know your plight, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, that we are hopeless without Christ. But Christ died in our place, and if we trust in him, we'll have eternal life. Trust in Christ. You can know your destiny. You can know you're going to heaven. You can be sure. First John says, this is a record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in a son. He that has the son has eternal life. He that believes in the son has eternal life. These things have I written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. Ah, what a joy it is. What a blessed assurance it is to know that I will spend eternity with God. You can know. You can be sure. Well, that's a wrap on Episode 7 of Back to the Beginning on Wisdom from Above. This Wisdom from Above podcast is available all over the world. Most are listening on Apple Podcasts. Some are listening on Spotify. Some are going to the website, anchor.fm backslash Dr. Harlan Betts. Please share this podcast with your family. Share this podcast with your friends. Share it on your Facebook. Share it on Instagram. Share, share, share. I love to hear from you. You can leave your comments below. You can leave comments on my Wisdom from Above Facebook page. You can email me at harlanbetts at gmail.com. I look forward to meeting with you again this next week as we continue looking at the fall of man. This is Dr. Harlan Betts wishing you a great week and God's blessings. Thank you for joining me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above.